Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Judge, it's good to be back. It's good to have this time and opportunity together, no matter what happens in this world. Uh, we love the fact that our God is bigger, our God is stronger, He's more formidable, that He's in charge, that He's sovereign, and this opportunity to come together online right now is one that we shouldn't just take as a small thing, but it is a powerful thing that uh, there's nothing that can stop the good news of our Lord going out there. And there's nothing that can stop us if we really want to, communicating with each other, building great connection. Uh, Not even a global shutdown, not even a pandemic can stop the church from being together. So this morning we continue part two, Ready Player One. I know it sounds weird, part two of number one. Uh, but I love this series for the fact that it's just it's fun. It's, it's great to look at something and go, hey, wow, we have access to uh, some promises that the Bible describes as armor. It describes as weaponry. Um, and if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. If you're joining us for the first time and you weren't here last week, um, I'm just going to give a quick recap. We, we, the whole premise of this series, and it's only a small series, is that that discussion around what are you going to create and put on yourself, or what, do you, what avatar would you create if you had an opportunity? Like, um, you know, I described that scene that we've seen in many movies before, where, you know, that, that retired whatever, maybe it was an assassin or retired police officer um, or, you know, superhero, whatever it is, you know, they've retired, and for whatever reason, they've decided to do that. Usually, it's some tragic reason. Um, and, but, long and behold, you know, they're just having the sweet old time minding their own business, uh, and then something from their past comes up, and then there's like a gang of people that want to kill them, uh, murder them, and do all the bad stuff. Um, and you're like, oh no, they're not ready. He's going to get cooked five minutes into the movie. Um, but you know that's not going to happen because he's going to press a book on the shelf, right? And, and then the shelf's going to turn in on itself, defying physics. Um, and you're going to see an armory, all right? And they, I love it because they pull out a duffel bag, and we all want to own one of those duffel bags. Then they just shove like whatever they can grab their hands on that they know is going to push back the enemy. And then, and then that next hour is pretty much just us feeling like I wish at some point in my life, sort of, but not really, uh, to be a part of like a, a, an opportunity to, <laughs> to, to experience that type of thrill. Uh, but what I love is that God says, hey, you're, you're actually in that. Like, you're a player in a game, and there's, there's things at stake. And I know some people are like, you know what, real life's not a game. I get that. I'm using it's a semantics. It's fine. You know, you don't have to get too caught up in that. But when I say a game, I mean like the journey of life, right? So, you know, when I was younger, and, the, you know, I grew up on the, the, the Super Nintendo and you know, the Sega Genesis 2 and, you know, the, the 64 and all that type of stuff. And, and we'd go to the shops, we'd go to like the Blockbuster and you'd look at the video games because you had to, I don't know about you, but we couldn't afford to buy every video game we wanted, but you could rent it, right? And so you'd rent it for a week and you'd try to get as far as you could um, in the week, but you'd read because you didn't know what half these games were about. The gaming industry wasn't as big as it is now. And so there'd be some weird games on the shelf. Like, I like going on to, you know, simulators now because you can pretty much play all those games on your PC. And you're like, I didn't even, that's a weird game. Like, I remember there was one game called Golden Axe 2. Um, and it was just like, it's like a, like a platform 2D sort of game with like weird sort of three-dimensional effects. And you just walk around, either you could be a dude with an axe, a dude with a sword, or a, a woman with like daggers or a staff or something like that. And you just go around, beat things up. And, and there was actually no storyline that I can remember, but you would read the back and you'd be like, awesome. 
And I think to myself, like if I was to read what God has called upon our life, the situation that we find ourselves in right now as believers, I would, I would want to be involved in that. I would want to pick that game up and I would want to play it. But when we read Ephesians 6 and when we read verses 10 to 17, we realize that in this game of life, in where we've been positioned as a player, I know last week you should turn to somebody and say, hey, player. Come on. I know half of you are like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait until someone does it. <laughs> oh, good. Good job, guys. The Bible says, Paul encourages us. He's like, hey, you've got to actually armor up. You've got to prepare your avatar for the battle ahead. Now, he doesn't say you have to do these things, but he says there's been provided for you the opportunity to choose what you're going to put on yourself. And he goes through the different armor pieces. I'm going to read it real quickly for you. Verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the evil schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers. That sounds awesome. Over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You right now, you're reading the blurb of this, this, this battle that we're in. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all you could to stand, stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastening on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes uh, for your feet, having put on the readiness uh, given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances. I mean, that's cool. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the scene set for us. You are that person. You've been called. Anyone here says, hey, I believe in God. One of the attributes given to us, we're now we're enlisted into the heavenly army of God. There's a battle going on. Even if you don't believe it, there is. There is a cosmic battle going on. And though we are on the victorious side, we still get to play. All right? I love playing games where I can't lose. I know it's a joke, but at the end of the day, you're like, well, it doesn't really test you. I still test you. You just end up always feeling good at the end. <laughs> right? If you know that you know no matter what happens. Like if you look at the picture of David when he stands up against Goliath, if that is an illustration of, of Ready Player One right now, he has to choose what weapon he's going to take to the battle. right? And, and we see that King Saul tries to put all his armor on him. And the Bible tells us it's not for David. It's not what his avatar needs to wear. It's not what his player needs to wear. He then has to go find out what God has given him. But what I find interesting is that he stands firm and he fights Goliath. And there's a whole bunch of things we could talk about there. But at the end of the day, I really do believe that David entered that field with great confidence because he had been anointed king, he'd been appointed king, but he had yet to sit on the throne. And in between him and the throne is this giant. And I find it interesting that you know, he gets on to the battlefield. He must have known he can't win because the promise of God was that you would sit on a throne. The promise of God is that you're already victorious. So if you're going to battle something, battle it with what God's given it to you, knowing that if your promise hasn't yet come to pass, if your fulfillment hasn't yet come to pass, if the stopwatch of your life hasn't been pressed by the King of Heaven, then you're good. You're fine. You just need to make sure you don't take as much damage as possible. Like We don't want to have to walk around as damaged goods. We should walk around, and I've said this before, in the pimpest armor, 
with the coolest robe of praise. Like we should be those people that walk into those medieval taverns and everyone's like, ooh, don't mess with that guy. Don't mess with that woman. That shield made him crush your face. That's, this is what I'm talking about. Like I get excited. So we talked about the fact that, you know, you have the belt of truth. Um, and it's not like uh, the truth will set you free type of belt of truth. It's not talking about the truth of the gospels, even though that is un- that's disqualified. We understand that. What Paul is reflecting on is that you've got to have a character that's trustworthy, that is honest, that is integrous. And that, that truth is like, it's like, yeah, it's like a belt. Um, there's other ways you can describe it. I had fun last week. If you want to go back, have a look, you know, slow-mo that down and listen to it. But at the end of the day, it, it's that the truth belt is actually what everything else falls upon, is carried upon. So if you don't have an integrous spirit or character... You can try to put anything else on, and it's not going to fit properly. That's the point. We then talked about the, uh, the breastplate of righteousness. This is not the imputed righteousness of Christ, even though that's important. And Paul speaks about this. What he's actually saying is, once you understand that righteousness has been paid for by Christ, given to you through Christ, you then have to make a decision to live righteously. Isn't that interesting? Right? We can't just be like, hey, I got a whole pass because Jesus did it all. Jesus did it all so I can do whatever I want. You can try to do that, but you're going to have a very exposed heart. And let me tell you, when, when someone goes for a, a kill shot, they go for the largest mass possible. They're going to shoot for the chest. right? The enemy is going to go for your chest. It's going to go for your heart. It understands that if it can cripple your heart, it can bring you straight to your knees for the wrong reasons. And so the Bible tells us through, through Paul, hey, you need to put on... The breastplate of righteousness. You've got to decide. You've got to make it something that is, is, is uh, on the forefront of your mind that when no one else is watching, when no one else can hear your thoughts, when no one else can see what you're doing, when no one else can determine your actions or even hold you accountable, are you going to be the righteous, integrous person God has called you to be? And uh, every time you do that, you thicken that armor on your chest. You thicken that armor, make it even more impenetrable. You can be as transparent as possible because transparency leads and breeds righteousness. So if you have truth and you have righteousness and they have like a, a little partnership going there, two peas in a pod, you now have a formidable baseline to build your full armor. And I said this before, you don't have to wear the belt of truth. You can wear the belt of deceit if you want. You don't have to wear the, the breastplate of righteousness. You can, you can wear the, the breastplate of wickedness if you want. It's up to you. You get to choose what you're going to look like when you step out and battle. But just like a jigsaw puzzle, your armor has to fit one another. So you can't partner the belt of truth with the breastplate of deceit or the breastplate of wickedness. They don't go together. They don't lock together. Right? You've got to find the right pieces. I love in the computer games, you walk around, you find a random box, you kick the box, and there's something in it, you boop. You're like, oh, I don't need that. And then you've got to make it work, right? And then you ever look at your friend's stash, and you're like, why do you have all that stuff? It's not compatible. Right? That's the same thing. How much stuff do you have in your armory that's not actually compatible with the call of God on your life? We're going to move on to the next one. So we've done truth, which is the belt. We've done righteousness, which is the breastplate. The Bible then says to shoe your feet. Put shoes on your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of Pete. Pete. Peace. Pete was a good guy too. It's interesting here. That when we look at what Paul is writing about, uh, he, he, like I said before, he's actually chained to a Roman guard. Now, 
He's reflecting on a lot of what Isaiah says of a heavenly warrior. He reflects heavily on a citizen uh, soldier that would be found in a lot of Greek states, uh, city-states. But he's also looking at a Roman soldier and some of the, the advances that Roman soldiers had that Greek soldiers didn't have. Do you know, it's really interesting, Greeks were very much in love with themselves. Um, and so for them, they would sacrifice actual usability or practicalities for something that was beautiful, right? So their armor often was ornate, but not very practical. Romans, on the other hand, were pragmatic. So they, they tried to figure out how they could make and, and create a soldier that was effective across all terrain, in all environments. And interestingly enough, the shoe that a Roman soldier wore was actually a defining piece of technological advancement that gave them an advantage in all seasons. It's interesting, isn't it? Because a Roman soldier would have what they call these nails at the base of a hobnail in their sandal. Like, ever put on a soccer cleat or a football cleat and you'd see all the, uh, the spikes at the bottom? It's like that, similar to that, maybe not as pronounced, but... It sounds weird, technical, technological advancement when we're, I'm like reading from an iPad here, but uh, that was good for them, hey? Um, <laughs> uh, and the reason for that is that these, these hobnails were made out of metal, and that's a precious item back then. As I know it's, we've got precious metals now, but it wasn't like you could just go and order like a ton of steel from China. Like it didn't work like that. There was, this was a precious commodity. The Bible says here um, that the Greek word, that is used here um, is, is preparation. It's interesting, that, that readiness, that preparation, that hetoimousia, isn't that weird? Hetoimousia. Didn't sound Greek, I know, but who knows? Who knows what cultures existed back together there? Hetoimousia, and it means, it's really interesting, it means prepared foundation. Hetoi Marcia prepared in the Greek translation of Psalms 89.14. It says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. The Greek would say, justice are the Hetoi Marcia of your throne. That it's been, the throne is prepared. It's there already. Think about that. That the gospel of peace is prepared already. It's there already. There's a preparation. There's a readiness there. See, the word is actually derived from, a, from the Greek word, and, and, and we look at this, and I go, wow, okay, so we've got a Roman soldier. We're seeing Paul looking at the Roman soldier. He said, are you ready for all seasons? He would have marveled at the sandals of the soldier. Why? Because at the end of the day, the Roman soldier could go anywhere they needed to go based on the sandals they had, that grip, that bit of fortitude, that, that firm foundation. That's the whole point of those hobnails in the shoe was to give you a firm foundation, why would you need a firm foundation? Well, the Bible says early on in this scripture verse, so that you could withstand the schemes of the enemy. Withstand. That means when something's pushing against you, you can stand firm. Stand firm in what? The gospel of peace. So I know a lot of us think it's like a messenger thing. We're going to bring the gospel. Yeah, you can apply it like that. It's true. And there is an application there. We are to bring. But at the same time, the shoe that allows us to stand firm is the same shoe that allows us to go into all seasons, to walk in all environments, to have the ability to push back. Now, we're going to later on talk about the shield of faith, but I love that imagery that you see that when soldiers stand together and when we interlock, all of a sudden, the little thing, like a hobnail, like about 20 of them on either shoe, when I stand side by side 
with a fellow soldier, a fellow Christian, and we interlock, all of a sudden, that becomes exponential ability to withstand. And furthermore, when we all hear the call from God to push, we all can step together and push together, right? Why? Because these little things on our shoes, these sandals that guard our feet, the gospel of peace, the gospel is here to allow us, I know this sounds weird, but to begin to dominate in every season, to move against the enemy in every season, to withstand the enemy in every season, to frustrate him in every season. When he pushes as much as he can, he can't, un- he can't undo, he can't break, he can't remove the power of the gospel in our life. It is a firm foundation. It is a sure footing. doesn't matter if we are looking uphill or downhill. All of a sudden now, we're unshakable. So we've got the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and now we have what covers the rest, the shield of faith. This is a large, oblong, scutum-shaped like door. (laughs) But you haven't heard that word before. (laughs) Trust me, I had to spell it out so I didn't say another word that is spelt very similar to that word. (laughs) Scutum. Shaped. You've seen it before, right? Like it's that, that door-shaped shield that Roman soldiers would have. It's 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 quite elongated, right? Actually, to tell you the truth, the the word that Paul uses here is is thurios, thurios, which is actually derived from the Greek word doors. These shields look like doors. Isn't that interesting? That that all of a sudden, when we look at the shield of faith. It's a doorway. Doorway to what? What is it a doorway to? It's, it, it's an interesting concept that it's not simply this thing that you cower behind. It covers the whole body. See, the shield of faith speaks to our reliance on God. Isn't it cool that that we have the belt of truth, we have the breastplate of righteousness, we have the shoes, the gospel of peace, but then we have what covers that all? Our reliance on God. What shields a lot of that? Our reliance on God. I love that we see in the, you know, the, the true safeguard in the evil day, it does not lie in an introspective thought or an introspective lifestyle. It doesn't lie within constantly looking inward. It actually relies on us looking wholly outward completely outward. We would even say, when, if you want to look completely outward, you've got to look completely Godward. Yeah. That's what it's actually saying, is that which, which is our essence of faith, right? Is instead of looking internally for some sort of hope and protection, we look Godwardly. For what we know is the essence of faith is our reliance on God. Psalms 25, 15 says, "'My eyes are ever toward the Lord.'" This is the cry. This should be the cry of every Christian in any battle situation, in any resting or camping situation. We should be saying, my eyes are towards the God. I'm constantly looking towards God. I fix my eyes onto Jesus. That is what stirs your faith. When you look to the pioneer and perfecter of faith, your faith will begin to grow. It will begin to fortify. It will begin to strengthen. The Bible says that the schemes of the devil are like flaming darts. People's arrows like tongues, impurities and selfishness like shafts and spears, doubt and fear and disappointment. These are all the plans of the enemy to penetrate straight through all your armor and to bring you to your knees. 
They wants to see things destroyed. The enemy wants to see things burned. And so the Bible talks about these flaming darts. These darts in the New Testament, they're like these little, they're what we consider a toe, which is, is it's, it's like placed in pitch, which is like a tar and lit on fire. And they would be thrown onto wooden shields. And the problem is, is that you can't just reach around, like you can grab an arrow, just snap an arrow off, it's a bit easier. These little darts, the, the, the thought of them were that if they could embed in your wooden shield, they could burn that shield. And all of a sudden, what was meant to protect you becomes the very thing that is now making you vulnerable and possibly kill you. Because you could think about something flammable like wood mixing with a, a, an accelerant and a flame and how that could burn shields that are interlocked together. Right? And so the Romans knew this, and so they would put leather on their shields. Why? Because leather doesn't burn very easy. And that's why you know, we see here when Paul says, you, know, you need your shield of faith to quench the flaming darts, there is like a leatheriness to it. That leatheriness for us is our complete faith and reliance on God. That's what quenches. That's what deflects. That's what dispossesses the enemy. That's what gives us as Christians the ability to stand. I love that scene in, uh, you know, um, Gladiator, right? And the barbarians come down, right? All I can think of is Van Riehoof, right? You got the, uh, the Roman armies and they march in formation and their shields are together. They're interlocked and they're marching. And then you see that German guy, the barbarian come down. He's like, and he's got a head in his hand and you're like, oh my goodness, this is going to be amazing. And then you see a hand through the... Anyway. And then you hear the theme from Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, I know you don't realize it. Go watch it again. I'll blow your mind. But this barbaric horde of thousands of people crash into what is a unified army of shields that are interlocked. Doorways. And those doors protect, but they also... I love it when they open up. There's that moment where it's like... Like they withstand the enemy, right? And you've seen it before. It's in the 300 as well. They withstand the initial push of the enemy with their hobnail sandals and their interlocked shields. And then there's, there's, that, there's that commander who makes that call, like now, right? And the shields open up and then the spears come through or the swords come through and there's a push forward. Oh man, I love those things. I'm such a, like I love drama like that. I'm like, come on, I want to get into the enemy right now. I want to plunge my sword and bash him with my shield. I want to be that person. I want to equip myself. I want to be, what's his name? Maximus Aurelius. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Skinny Russell Crowe. That's what I want to be. So we've got the belt of truth. We've got the breastplate of righteousness. Now you can pick a different type of shoe if you wanted. Yeah, you know, you, you know, you could go your Air Force Ones if you want. Right? You can go the shoe of consumerism if that's what you want to stand on. The shoe of materialism if that's what you want to stand on. The shoe of what will perish if that's what you want to stand on. You can take the shield of, of selfishness if that's what you want to hide behind. Or the shield of fear if that's what you think is going to protect you. But can I tell you, it's all made out of wood. And when the enemy comes and he throws those darts, you're going to burn and you're going to hurt and you're going to wonder what went wrong. And God's saying, well, if you put the reliance on, if you picked up the shield of faith, mine's made out of sturdy wood covered in leather that's impenetrable from the darts of the enemy. You would be not just someone that is protected, but a formidable force when you push forward. This is, oh man, if you're not ready to play, I don't know what's going to stir you up right now. I love the, the next thing that we talk about is the helmet of salvation. Helmets are really important. 
Ever been in a bike accident without a helmet? And then you like got up and you're like, oh, thank God that I didn't bash my head. And then your mum's like, why didn't you wear the helmet that I bought you for Christmas? And you're like, oh yeah, let's try it, right? I remember one time I was riding my bike without a helmet on, uh, just cruising down the alleys uh, on my BMX, just minding my own business. I, I think I would have been about 11 years old. And uh, just, I'm, a, I'm a, like one of those daydreamers on a bike. So like, I'm not in it for like the speed, I'm in it for just the cruise. And so I'm just cruising and I'm looking to my left, looking to my right, and then I look forward. And what I didn't realize is that there was a semi-trailer parked and my bike fits under the, 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 the container on the trailer, but my face doesn't. And so I look this way and my body continues, but my head just like gets cleared up. I remember just ending up under a truck. It was parked. I was... I was, I was but in my, I just remember having a cracking headache. I'd, I'd cut my head open. And, but it was like a, a grated uh, ramp of the truck. And so I had like these great marks on my face. Now, to be completely honest with you, I don't think a helmet would have fixed the great marks. But it would have fixed the throbbing headache I had from where my head hit when I fell over. Isn't it interesting that we're given a helmet of salvation? And it implies that one, salvation is, is provided to us as men and women of, uh, and Christians in the armor of God. And it's something that we receive a part, as a part of the armor. And yes, it can talk about uh, salvation from the penalty of sin, which, yes, it does apply to that. But it actually also speaks more predominantly about helping protect us in the battle with sin, a, an ongoing battle. See, if the heart is the prize in which we are all fighting for, then the battleground is the mind. And I love that Paul, back in the day, subscribed to what we all think is conspiracy theories now, which is you've got to protect your mind with tinfoil. You've got to put some metal. You've got to magneto that bad boy. Right? You've got to magneto because if, if we had to look at it, Professor X is actually the bad guy. Anyone like... You like X-Men? Like the ball guy in the wheelchair, Professor X? What's his full name? Xavier. Charles Xavier. He's the bad guy. He's the one that like, goes into people's minds when he shouldn't. Right? Isn't he a little bit like the enemy? Maybe we've been celebrating the wrong guy. Maybe Magneto's the hero because he got it worked out. What did he do? He put on his helmet of salvation so Professor X couldn't get in his head. It's the same imagery, right? Paul's saying, put on your helmet. Protect your mind. Because you're going to be tempted. You're going to try, the enemy's going to try to persuade you. He's going to try to deceive you. And you're going to need to be reassured in your salvation. Not just that you're getting into heaven, but that you have power now. That your salvation gives you authority now. Over what? Well, I'm no longer, I'm no longer held captive by the law of sin and death. I've been resurrected in Christ. I've got authority now. My mind is fortified. I have a hope now, a hope worth fighting for. I'm not living according to the will of the self, which is selfish, which is wicked, which doesn't have any hope. So you've got to put your helmet on. Paul really reflects here on Isaiah 59, 17. When, the, when he describes the divine warrior wearing a helmet of salvation as he brings 
and as he works out salvation. He's like, you've got to put on your helmet. If you're going to play this game, we are con- a concussion-friendly sport. You've got to put your helmet on. We don't want any head injuries here. The cool thing is, is if you do get knocked over and you're wearing your helmet, your vital organ, your vital gift of salvation is protected. You don't, you don't fall on the ground, get concussed, get knocked up a bit, and then and, and, and get up wondering if you still love Jesus. Wondering if God has let you down. Oh, you don't do that. Why? Because you're wearing a helmet. You played it safe. Hey, in the kingdom of God, we know it's going to be rough. Jesus said there's going to be trials and testing. This is a rough game. This is not golf. All right? This is not golf. This is, if I were to put it like into a sport, this is playing basketball with trampolines. This is slam ball. Have you seen that before? It's awesome. You've got to YouTube that. The basketball court is trampolines, and it's full contact sport. You've got to wear a helmet. You've got to know what's protected. You've got the breastplate of righteousness that protects your heart, and the helmet of salvation, understanding you now have the authority. You now have a position where you should be fortified in your hope. That we know we have a present deliverance in times of need. Confident that we'd be rescued from the slavery of our past. As Christians, we need to know this or we will be mortally wounded in conflict. That's the point. If you don't wear your helmet, you're cooked. We've all seen those medieval army fight scenes where some dude gets hit in the head and they've paid way too much money for the graphics involved. And we're all, Emma's always like, oh, I don't want to watch this. Emma watched the book of Eli the other day. It's, a, it's an interesting book, but I was surprised. Interesting book, interesting movie, but I was surprised because this is graphic, hey? There's arms getting cut off. And... But I love it because Denzel Washington's blind and doesn't know how the spice rack looks, but Sarah can help him. Cause... <laughs> if you're wondering what I'm talking about, watch the Bibliotheca with Sarah Graston. It'll be great. We see here in Psalms 104, verse 7, Psalmist writes, O Lord, my Lord, my strong deliverer, thou hast covered my head in the day of battle. Don't you love the fact that our God has given us the gift of salvation to cover our head for the day of battle? When you go into battle, he said, you know what, I'm going to give you something that's going to, I love a good helmet. Don't you love those helmets? Just like shiny silver helmets, and then they've got that cool mohawk thing, right? And then... Depending how big your, your mohawk is, is how important you are. And so you've got the little mohawk, you've, you've done something good, but then you've got the dude that's like, like emo mohawk, where it's like, boom, and then it goes all the way down the back. Oh, I want that. I want that. I just... You'd be, imagine going into a fight with that guy. Right? Imagine armoring up, and then you step into the, the, the battle scene, and the dude looking at you has the coolest mohawk. Do you feel confident, or are you afraid? Can I tell you, the helmet of salvation has the coolest mohawk. And the enemy, when he sees you wear it, and when he sees that you're confident in it, when he knows that you know that your helmet is better than his bare head that you're about to hit, you're going to put some terrifying fear of God back into him. 
But you've got to be confident. You've got to pick it. Because you, you could put another helmet on if you want. You could put your helmet of you know, earthly ideologies on and somehow try to find meaning in what, what man has struggled to describe. You can try to find strength in who you are, salvation through your own character. You could wear that helmet. But it'd be like one of the helmets worn by the Scottish army in Braveheart. Especially that one dude that's super weird looking. And he's like, but the English are too many. That would be you. That would be you right now. The English are too many. And he's wearing like a leather strap. I love how Braveheart or William Wallace gets up and he encourages him. And I'm like, you say all that, but that dude with the leather strap, he's going to die. Christ has given us the helmet of salvation. You should be the coolest, most confident, most formidable looking soldier out there. And finally, there is the sword of the Spirit. You know, the Old Testament refers, often refers speech, very words as a sword. We see in Psalms 57 verse 4, My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. The Old Testament refers to words, to speech, being like swords. But it also, in the Bible, refers to God's own word, being the sword in His hand, which lays bare, separating false from truth. How interesting is that? That His very word is His sword that He holds. We read in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is the sword that we're given, the sword of the Spirit. His Word can be wielded by His messengers. Isn't that awesome? In the lives of others, Isaiah 49.2 says this, He made my mouth like a sharp sword. We get to wield this as messengers. The Word is the Spirit's sword because it's given by the Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.13 says, All Scripture is breathed out of God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It's His. He works in believers as the Spirit of truth. John 14.17 says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Oh, come on. I love that the sword of the Spirit, everything else is given to us as ours. Do you hear what I'm saying? Here's your helmet of salvation. Here's your breastplate of righteousness. Here's your shoes found in the gospel of peace. Here's your belt of truth. But your offensive weapon, hey, you're getting to wield what he gets to wield. I don't know about you, but how many kings do you know makes multiples of their own weapon and lets their army 
carry their weapon. Have you ever thought about that? In the movies, we're talking about Ready Player One. The king always has the best sword. He's defined by it. We know it's the king, right? I love in Lord of the Rings. Come on. When Gandalf frees Satan. And, and I love where they're like, maybe the king would know his own strength again if he held his sword in his own hand. And I love that God says to us, maybe you would hold and feel strength again if you held my sword, the king's sword, the word of the spirit. Maybe if you picked it up, I actually see it more like a lightsaber because God's convenient. (laughs) Father of lights, come on, father of lightsabers. But think about that. All of a sudden now we have the word that God has given us through the Spirit as our sword. We as his messengers. Well, who sends a messenger and equips him with the king's sword? Our God does. Our king does. He says, you get my sword and it's good. It's the best. And if you turn it on, you can cut through anything. I love, that's why I love lightsabers. I love the Phantom Menace because it's ridiculous that when blast doors can shut, he just shoves a lightsaber through it and melts a whole door. When the enemy comes and the gates of Hades lock up and try to restrict you, all you got to do is turn on your lightsaber, the Father of Lights, the Word of God, and just plunge it into that gate and watch it crumble, watch it shake, watch it melt in the presence of God. And all of a sudden, what was your breastplate of righteousness? What was your belt of truth, your shoes of the gospel, your shield, all that doorway you smashed through? You are a formidable player in this game of life. And what's the best is that when we come together, when we interlock, we become exponentially terrifying. We got to be ready. We got to be ready. Tell the person next to you, you got to be ready. Henry, you got to be ready. Colin, you got to be ready. Amy, ready. Nina, ready. Mark, always ready. Come on. You're a player. That's why I know. Players are always ready to play. Don't you love it when you call your friend and you're like, you ready? It's a board game. You're like, you guys up some smash up. I'm ready. I'm ready to play. I'm ready to throw down. I've watched all the YouTube clips. I've listened to all the podcasts. I've read all the manuals. I am going to crush right now. That's what we should be like Christians. I've read the Word of God. I've spent time fasting. I've spent time praying. I'm excited. Put me on the coach. Put me on the field. I'm ready to go. That's the point. As we go back into worship right now, can I tell you, he's saying, rise up, men and women of valor. The time is now. The game is ready. I've given you your armory. Equip yourself. Be ready. Take your place on the field, mighty warrior. I know we joke around a lot. We have a lot of fun. But can I remind you right now that there's a lot at stake. Maybe you've got a family member that doesn't know Jesus right now. Then you better be ready. You better be ready when you're called upon, mighty warrior, to stand in the gap. Maybe you have a work colleague that you've been believing for. Can I tell you right now, being ready is being consistent. You've got to be ready in and out of every season. You never know what's going to happen. You've got to be the widow that has the sword hidden down your shirt. Right? So when it happens, you're like, boom, I'm ready. I've told you before, all superheroes... Yeah, you're dressed in normal clothes. But we got to stand. This world needs the church like never before to stand, to stand in the truth, to stand in righteousness, to stand on the gospel. The church right now needs to stand in faith 
It needs to stand in our salvation. It needs to stand on the Word of God. Church, ready player, would you stand right now? As we worship right now, would we interlock our shields in faith? Right across this city, wherever you are, apartment, house, studio, doesn't matter. God is bringing our shields like doors. Isn't that cool? Our faith is like a door. I can use my, my faith to still connect with you and you can use yours to connect with me. They're doorways that can't be prohibited by anything of this earth. Let's stand together. Let's raise our shields together. Let's sing together. Let this be our war cry, knowing that God has readied us as players in the game of life, not to be losers, not to be damaged goods, but to be inflictors of pain on darkness, to bring us a light, hope to the hopeless, voice to those that don't have a voice. We are the liberating army of Jesus and we are pushing back the enemy and bringing in the reign of the King of kings and the Lord of Lords. And are you ready? We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.